you have your Bibles, if you'll join me this morning in Luke's Gospel, chapter 20. On Sunday mornings, we've been going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. And as we're turning in our Bibles, if you need a Bible, you're welcome to lift your hand up. There's some guys in the aisles that have some copies of the Scripture. And we want you to be able to read along and see as well, not just hear exactly what we're looking at this morning. So you can verify those things for yourself. In moving through chapter 20, we left off last week at the end of verse 44. So this morning, we're going to begin there in Luke 20, verse 45. And then we're going to go down to chapter 21, verse 4. And then next week, we get the opportunity to begin looking uh, through Luke chapter 21, which should be an exciting thing to go through because, of course, Luke 21 is that passage in Luke's gospel anyway where Jesus really gives this discourse regarding uh, end-time events. And, you know, I can't think of a more uh, exciting and interesting day in which we are living in uh, things that are happening. Even Luke 21, verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud. And, and you know, what, what an interesting week even to just see meteors crashing into our earth and just me just the things that we continue to watch taking place almost uh, just continuous and more and more we see the birth pangs with increasing intensity and increasing frequency uh, and it's, it's going to be interesting and exciting to move through Luke 21 together and see uh, the things the Lord has told us in advance would take place and to be able to lay them right next to the events uh, that are happening all around us. So uh, that will pick up there right in verse 5 of chapter 21. So this morning uh, we'll just stop there at Luke 21 verse 4 and pick up that next section next week. And if you're turned there with me, would you stand together with me as we read the Word of God this morning? Luke 20, beginning there in verse 45, regarding Jesus, it says, Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in their offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And Father, we lift before you the word of God because it's yours, it's inspired by your spirit, and Lord, we recognize that our flesh and our natural capacity cannot understand and receive the things of the Spirit because you said they're spiritually discerned. 
So we ask now for your help humbly as always, Lord, even as we stand here before you as a group, we, we want it to reflect the attitude of our hearts, Lord, like, like your soldiers at attention. We want to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ as we journey through this life and as we seek to represent you well and be disciples and servants of you in this generation. So, Lord, would you write your will this morning on the fleshly tablet of our hearts? Speak to us, teach us. Lord, convict us and give us counsel and correction and instruct us in every way that we need to hear from you. Prepare us now and we ask for your blessing on the word of God and your Holy Spirit's ministry to be our teacher this morning. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, in this passage in front of us, it's pretty obvious that Jesus is using both the arrogant religious leaders, the scribes, Pharisees, and other religious leaders of that day, and he's using the arrogant religious leader, and then in contrast, this poor, humble widow with the intention in this passage of setting a sharp contrast. To set before us a sharp contrast, Jesus shows us and his, he exposes and kind of reproves these arrogant religious leaders and this poor humble widow. I think Jesus is trying to set before us a contrast of someone who is looking to selfishly get from others and selfishly take things from others for themselves in contrast with the exact opposite of being someone who is sacrificially giving for others and wanting to be a giver rather than a taker and i think as we look at these things together that through it the lord is able to instruct us in relation to those very things because those are critical and important things for our lives as we seek to live as representatives of the lord as well remember at this point we're in the last few days of jesus's life right before his crucifixion and we've been watching in our recent studies together how Jesus has been undergoing a severe time of testing from the religious leaders in particular. And it seems like that one after another, they've just been taking turns, these corrupt religious figures in that day in Israel, whether the Pharisees or the scribes or the chief priests or the Sadducees, one after another, they keep coming and throwing, remember, sort of these trick questions at Jesus and trying to catch him in some question and, and ensnare him and entrap him in his words, hoping to be able to bring him down because they despise Jesus. And there's tremendous animosity they have towards him. So they're doing everything they can to try and bring him down in fear of the people. They're trying to find a subtle way, and they've been firing these trick questions at Jesus. And as we've watched, Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, manifest with every question has silenced them with his incredible wisdom. And he has sort of put to an end these questioning. And now at this point, Jesus is going to turn the tables and he's going to publicly expose, as we see there in the end of chapter 20, these religious leaders. It tells us there, if you look back with me in verse 45, it says, then, with that as our backdrop, in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples. So, Take note, what Jesus is speaking and sharing in the next few verses is addressed to his disciples. It's addressed to his followers. That being said, what he is saying is clearly stated, however, out loud 
in front of whatever audience was present there in that day. And there were always multitudes around when Jesus was speaking. In fact, you almost can underline there in verse 45 where it says, He said this, notice, the Holy Spirit wants us to know, in the hearing of all the people. Yes, it was directed to his disciples, but it was said purposefully, strategically, out loud, in the hearing of all the people that were assembled. So Jesus, being open, being purposefully direct regarding the things that he is sharing, these truths and realities, and apparently because he felt it was important, and he felt it was appropriate that such things that he's about to say were exposed and made manifest to everyone, not just to his disciples. He thought that it was important enough the reason that people would be fully aware of the truth and warned for their own safety, especially as they're in the temple precincts and are there as worshipers of God. Jesus thought as a loving leader, you know what, despite how this sounds, these people need to hear these things. And a loving leader always wants people to have the facts and to hear the truth for their own safety and their own welfare. So Jesus here says these things to the disciples, but he says them in the hearing out loud of all the people that were assembled. And look what he says in verse 46. It says, beware of the scribes. Now he said that in front of everyone and right in front of the scribes too. Beware of the scribes, he says, who desire to go around in long robes. This must have been a little bit of an awkward moment. Can you imagine? And they love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, then they make long prayers. And they will receive, Jesus says, the greater condemnation. So the first thing Jesus says is beware of the scribes. In other words, the religious leaders, these corrupt religious leaders that day in Israel, he was warning them to be careful of these particular individuals and he points them out rather specifically. Be careful of such individuals, Jesus says. Be on guard, he says, of these types of religious leaders and then he states the reasons why here. He begins to then talk about and expose them for who they were and what they were doing. And the first thing that's pretty evident Jesus wants those listening to know about these particular individuals to be careful of is he says, take notice that these individuals, number one, he says they sought recognition. They're always seeking after recognition. Jesus says here in verse 46, they go around in long robes. Again, the idea of these fancy, ostentatious garments that they would wear to clearly indicate they were a person of status. It was very important to them that they would dress in a way that was purposely able to make them be seen as different than everyone else common around them. And they wanted to be identified publicly as much as possible as someone who was a religious leader. They wanted to retain this image of superiority in front of everyone else. So they sought to do things in such a way, Jesus says, where they could be identified. They wanted to be identified as we are clergy. And we want to make sure you know that we are clergy. So they would wear certain robes that would indicate that, Jesus says. They desire to wear these things. Again, he says this is, this is the desire in their hearts. They desire that recognition. He indicates it further by then saying, and they love, he uses that word, they love greetings in the marketplaces. 
the indication there, Jesus was saying, is they weren't content with just the simple hello that would be exchanged among fellow Israelites and Jews in that day in the marketplaces. You know, hi, Amir, how are you today? Or good to see you, Joshua. That, that wasn't content uh, in their hearts. They enjoyed hearing and being addressed by their special titles. They loved these extended greetings that that people oh rabbi so and so or or master or or reverend and 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 this was something that was important to them they wanted the attachment with that special title when addressed they loved the extended greeting whereby what was the case attention was being drawn to them It, it was another way of rather than just a common greeting people would pause and they would they'd pause and they would bow down to them oh rabbi good to see you or or they would dote over them and make a big deal whereby not only the two saying hello but others around would would reckon oh this is an important figure this is somebody of stature or some distinguished status and jesus says they sought and they loved this recognition he also indicates here in these verses another thing about them in verse 46 is that they sought special position They saw special position, and together with that, they sought preferential treatment. Special position and preferential treatment. Jesus says they desire the best seats in the synagogues and the best places in the feasts. In other words, they wanted to have special locations as assemblies would gather, whether the synagogue or a feast that was taking place. They wanted that special location in the seating arrangement whereby they would as much as possible be clearly visible to everyone. And when people would see them sitting in that spot, it would indicate to them sort of at that spot in the synagogue or or at that particular location in the seating arrangement in a feast and that indicated things to the Jews the way they would sit it would indicate to everyone on looking hey this is a person of importance this is an individual of influence of rank or title or so forth and these special positions would of course also bring guess what special treatment it would bring preferential treatment. You would be treated and sort of doted over and and catered to as like the VIP. And so therefore you would get additional little perks and privileges and be catered to and be be treated in an extra special way. And Jesus says this is what they long for. This is what they desire. They love recognition, special position and preferential treatment to them. And let me just say this. We should all be careful in our own hearts and lives because we have the same flesh that has the capacity to be just like these religions. We should all be careful in our lives of seeking after recognition and seeking after position and seeking after preferential treatment. The Bible says, do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. The Bible warns us, be careful of that. Yes, is it all the more sad when it's those who are religious figures doing these kind of things? Yes, I agree. But we all need to be careful of seeking after recognition and trying to get special and preferential treatment and seeking great things. Jesus also warns as well in verse 47 of how sadly too, and this is again another reason why he says be careful, how they manipulated and deceitfully used people. Do you see what he says in verse 47? He says, They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. So Jesus indicates how they would manipulatively take advantage of those who were the most vulnerable and naive around them. 
And they would find individuals like widows who were very vulnerable in their condition in society. And through manipulation and deceitful tactics, they would extort funds from them to enrich themselves. Their, their mode of operation was to get what they could from those who were vulnerable around them. And to do things in such a way whereby they would indulge themselves at the expense of others. And they were using their position and their contact with people to get things out of people. And they were using their position in such a way to do that, to get what they could from others around them. And then Jesus says, to make it worse, he says, and then after they do that and take things from people like widows and, and, and use people to get what they can. He says, Jesus says, and then for a pretense, the idea is for a cover-up, they make long prayers of all things indicating what they did was they used their long prayers to sound really spiritual, but it was just a cover-up for who they really were. And it was just play-acting to try and hide what they were really doing behind the scenes in the lives of people. And Jesus shows here how sadly spiritual play-acting in public presentation is a very common thread when people are corrupt. That the two seem to go hand in hand. That when somebody is a corrupt religious leader or just corrupt and doing crooked things, that a lot of times the spiritual play acting is really played up. They pray these long prayers. Well, that guy is really spiritual. Did you ever listen to him pray? Man, he seems spiritual. I wonder why he's trying to seem so spiritual, Jesus would say. And again, Jesus just says these two happen to go hand in hand. And this was the case with the scribes. They were greedy and selfish at heart, they, but they had a false devotion to God, Jesus says. And again, such people are using their leadership in abusive and unhealthy ways. One commentator I read said this. I thought it was good. He said, I quote, God will always condemn the man who uses a position of trust to further his own ends and to pander to his own comfort. To me, this is quite interesting as well because notice that Jesus, who is who? God in the flesh. Notice that Jesus found it acceptable to warn worshipers of dangerous people. Jesus found it completely acceptable to do that. Now we might look at that or imagine if you were in the crowd that day and Jesus started doing that, a lot of us, maybe our common tendency, might be, oh, that's so critical. I can't believe he just said that. And, he, and he, he didn't say it generally. He said it specifically. He said specifically who he was talking about. And he said specifically what they were doing. And he said specifically, you better be careful. Beware, be on guard against these particular individuals. And, and you think, well, doesn't it seem somewhat critical? Apparently not when God's doing it. Apparently not if God's the one who's directing it. And when it is factual, and accurate and it protects God's people whom God loves and cares about you want to write in your Bible here Matthew chapter 23 if you really want your mind blown Jesus there spends a whole chapter exposing and rebuking and identifying the error of these corrupt religious leaders in an extended form in an entire chapter in Matthew 23 and then Jesus finally says publicly of them in verse 47 these will receive he says the greater condemnation why because they had more light 
They knew more. They were the leaders in the culture. And therefore, because they knew more, they had greater responsibility and accountability to God. The Bible teaches, and Jesus himself often spoke, of how those who know more will receive a stricter judgment before God for what they do in this life. Again, James tells us in James 3 verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, the Bible says. That those who know more and have been entrusted with more, God says, then they shall receive a stricter judgment because they have more light. There's greater responsibility and accountability. It's to be recognized soberly as the Lord entrusts us with such things. Well, at this point, Jesus having now exposed these religious leaders publicly, he now as a teaching moment turns, as I said, and he uses the contrast now of someone really who is quite to the opposite as a teaching opportunity. The religious leaders were guilty, and so Jesus exposes them of a pursuit and recognition of, of public applause, in a sense, from people. The religious leaders were, were guilty of seeking special treatment for themselves, and they had a wrong heart that was selfish, and it was self-indulgent and greedy, and they were, had a false appearance of devotion to God and praying is just a cover-up outwardly. And Jesus now uses that and this next point with a lesson. He now shows the disciples, in contrast, an indication of true humility and generosity and being sacrificial and having a true devotion to God and what that looks like. And that's what he moves into now in verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, And then he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. So here in the temple, Jesus now, notice, observes in this next moment, and he holds forth an example, a pure-hearted, humble worshiper who is just totally blessing himself in the heart of God the Father. We see this humble widow who quite to the opposite, very privately and quietly comes into the temple precincts with a life of generosity and sacrifice and just sincere devotion and love for God. Now, Mark chapter 12 records this same account for us. And he gives us a little bit more of an extended version there with some extra details. And, and so in light of that, I want to begin by reading to you a verse from Mark chapter 12 because it sort of sets the stage of something that Luke doesn't give to us in our gospel to help us give a little fuller light. You may want to write in your notes here, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And let me read to you from Mark's account how he begins this same account that we're looking at here in Luke's gospel. Mark 12, 41 tells us this, that Jesus sat opposite the treasury and he saw how people put money into the treasury. That Jesus was sitting opposite the treasury and it says he saw how, not what, how, he was watching how, it says, People put money into the treasury. So he's in the temple courts, 
And the temple courts had multiple different areas that were walled as you made progressive steps towards the temple building itself where the presence of God was. And Jesus is now in what would be called the court of the women. And there in the court of the women on one of the walls were 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles or depositories where people as worshipers would give their gifts and offerings for the Lord and for his temple ministry. And basically, these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles, they had the narrow neck at the top, if you could envision, where people would deposit their coins or their money. And then they had a wide basin down at the bottom to hold as sort of a retaining area the donations that were given as people brought their resources to give offerings to God. And these receptacles were designated for different things. There were 13 of them. Some of them were designated for mandatory gifts or dues for the temple operations themselves. Other receptacles were for were receiving sort of voluntary offerings, additional free will offerings, and they were even labeled to indicate what that particular receptacle of the 13 would be used for. For example, one might say for the sacrifices. Another might say for the wood on the altar. There was one, historians say, that said for temple upkeep and uh, those that were there, one for orphans and widows of orphans. So as you went through the area, you could see what even some of these particular ones would be particularly used for as you made this contribution or offering to God. And Mark 12 tells us that Jesus sat down opposite, it says, the treasury. Now, given all Jesus has gone through, we've been watching these debates and these verbal assaults and questioning, he's probably a little worn out. And because of being probably a little worn out, he now finds a place to sit down and rest and take a break from all this verbal antagonism and it is no coincidence of course the bible tells us that jesus positions himself directly across from where the temple treasury was so that he could sit there purposely and view people who are giving at the temple treasury so jesus is watching and he's observing this matter of giving and to jesus it was simply considered a part of the worship experience of God's people. Jesus was not uncomfortable with the fact that people were giving offerings to God. It was a part of the worship experience. And it says that he saw how the people put money into the treasury. And when you look at the language, it indicates that he was observing intently the process. In other words, it indicates when you look in Mark 12, the language in the Greek indicates that he is observing with purposeful sort of scrutinization. He's watching how people are going about this giving to the temple treasury and thinking through it. From that, let me say this. Let, let me draw two lessons from that. First of all, that indicates to me that Jesus was apparently interested in how people managed their money. Jesus was sitting there watching purposefully in the temple and apparently it indicates to me that Jesus indeed was interested in how people manage their money. Think about it. He could have sat down anywhere in the temple precincts. It was a big place. He could have chosen to sat down anywhere, yet he chose to sit at the treasury and he chose, the language says, to take note of how people were giving on that particular day. Jesus could observe a lot of different things that were going on in the temple. He could have watched and observed many other things. He could have watched how people were praying in the temple. He could have watched how people were singing. He could have watched how the priests were serving. 
But yet the Holy Spirit tells us in the Bible that at this specific time, he was watching people in their dealings with money and how they came and what they did in the whole process, which shows me as he's examining this and people's attitudes behind it, it shows me that clearly financial stewardship does matter to Jesus. It does matter to Jesus because he uses it, we see here, to actually use another important lesson that he gives to his disciples. And by way of application for us, I believe the Lord still because he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think Jesus still has great interest in how we all manage our money. I think it matters very much to him still, just like every other area of our life that he is fully aware of. Hebrews 4 says there's everything that is you know, naked and bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And just like Jesus is aware of everything else we do and the Lord takes notice of how we speak, he takes notice of our daily activities. He takes notice of how we spend our time and manage our responsibilities. And we'll give an account to him for all those things. In the same way, he's fully aware of how we manage our financial resources on this earth. And how we operate as stewards of what resources that we have. And this too is before his eyes and one day we'll give account for it. Now that being said, you may ask, why in the world would it matter to God and why would God be concerned with how I manage or spend money isn't there more important things God would be concerned about why would God concern to how I spend my money well first of all let me say this what we often call our money is really not ours the Bible tells us in Psalm 50 verse 12 that the Lord says if I were hungry I would not tell you indicating God first of all says look I'm not broke and even if I was starving I would never tell you on earth because I'm not dependent upon you you're dependent upon me but God says this in Psalm 50 verse 12 the whole world is mine and all its fullness now that pretty clearly shows me that the creator is also the possessor and owner of everything on this planet he says, the whole world is mine. It's mine, God says. All its fullness, everything exists. Ultimately, God is the master and owner of it all. So whatever monies I possess in my life and whatever resources you possess in your life, truthfully, it's all because God has allowed and allotted us to possess what we possess and to have the resources in our management. The Lord is the one who endows us with the abilities and opportunities to have resources and to have finances. And wherever it comes from, whether it's through your occupation that you have the income and finances that you do, or whether it's through your inheritances or investments that you've made wisely or any other ways in which we all, different vehicles, receive money into our lives, the truth of the matter is it's really all, biblically, not ours, it's God's. We're just stewards, the Bible teaches. It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says this, listen. He says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and you build your fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember 
the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So important that we remember the Lord is truly the source. I'm just a recipient. The Lord is truly the owner. I am just a steward entrusted with some portion of all of what God owns on this earth. I'm entrusted, you're entrusted with some portion of that to different measures that God sees fit to allow in our lives. And we're managers of that. I think another reason the Lord is interested in how we manage our money is it not only reveals our heart condition, but the Bible teaches how we manage our money also affects our heart condition. It has a tremendous influence on our heart. Jesus said this in relation to giving, but then there's a principle attached. Matthew 6, he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. And then he declared this principle in Matthew 6. Jesus said, For where your treasure is, connected to financial things where your treasure is there your heart will be also see the bible teaches and jesus declares that what you and i invest in the most in this life and particularly with our financial resources that we've been entrusted to manage by god jesus says what we invest in will ultimately consume it will captivate, it will control the greatest level of our interest. Like it or not, or being willing to admit it or not, money will direct and persuade your heart. Jesus said that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says it's just a natural reality of how things work. My attitude towards money, my management of my money, my resources that I have entrusted, it will affect my life, the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6 teaches this principle in a greater extent. God teaches that money is something that has a powerful effect upon our heart condition. It affects our, it doesn't just reveal our heart, it affects our heart condition. And God cares foremost about, guess what? Your heart, not your money. God cares about your heart. That's what this whole passage with the widow teaches. God's looking at the heart condition. If he cared about money, he would have elevated all the rich who were putting in great gifts. He elevates a lady who puts in a few little cents and he says, now that, that blesses my heart. God cares about the heart. And because of that, God cares and is concerned about how we utilize our financial resources because money's a great tool, but it is a horrible master. It's a horrible master. And therefore, not guarding our heart against managing great wealth can lead to spiritual shipwreck. And not managing well our spending and creating debt and being irresponsible, that can lead to spiritual strangulation. Because I tell you this, in love, debt financially will diminish your spiritual potential. It will diminish your spiritual potential because it will hinder and lord over your life and be a horrible master. Mark says in his account that Jesus watched how they gave. And, and please take notice of that as we look at the story with the widow. He, he noticed how they gave, not so much what. Now, I want you to see that. It wasn't so much it seems that Jesus was primarily interested in the amount of cash or you know how the size of the check. Jesus was not looking so much at the amount of giving as much as he was the attitude in giving 
because that's what he elevates from this widow who comes into the temple and he uses that for the lesson. The same is true with us. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus is less interested in the amount of what you give unto the Lord as he is in your attitude of why or for what reasons or your motivation that you would choose, if you would, to give to the Lord. Jesus is interested in the attitude of heart. Again, please understand as Jesus is watching this going on, and even today as we're giving into the Lord's treasury in a sense, Jesus is not viewing what's taking place in those times and evaluating primarily the dollar amount of cash or the size of the check and then up in heaven going, oh, all right, look at the size of that. And is, you know, kind of as if he's got a heavenly fundraiser going on. And so he's like, oh, all right, look at the size of that one as if he's got some you know, spiritual heavenly thermometer and he's really concerned that his work won't make it so he's, he's got his fundraiser going and when he sees the big check, all right, or when he sees just you know, a smaller amount, oh no, we're, the thermometer, we're not going to hit budget, the fundraiser's not going to be successful. That's not what God is doing. Jesus is looking at the attitude. He's looking at the heart. It says he saw how they were giving the rich and this widow. He was looking at the heart condition because that's what matters to him. Granted, he sees the amount too. That's evident from this passage. He did see the amount. It says the specific amount the widow gave. He does see the amount too and that reveals our heart condition but the Bible teaches financial giving should be an act of worship with a willing heart unto the Lord. Exodus 35 verse 5 says, as they receive donations in God's house, it says, whoever is of a willing heart let him bring an offering as unto the Lord gold and silver and bronze. And as Jesus is observing how they're doing this, it says there, first of all, in chapter 21 here, that he saw the rich putting in their gifts into the treasury. Mark adds that he saw the rich, and it says that they were putting in much. In other words, as those who were wealthy came into the temple area, they were making large donations and contributions, and Jesus did take notice of that. And that's a good thing. But notice with me what really impressed the Lord, what really impressed him, what? Was this poor widow. That's what really impressed Jesus as she came, this poor widow, and put in, it says, two mites. Now again, in that culture, much different from today, to be a widow was a very difficult thing because it really took away your stability in society. And if your husband died, unless he had laid up for you a good amount of resources, it was difficult to get by as a widow in that culture. There weren't things in place to help. And so if your husband died and you outlived your husband, you were in a really tough spot for survival. It was a challenging thing to continue to be able to make it by day by day. So she's in a very vulnerable place. She's a poor widow, the Bible indicates to us as well. And here comes now this poor widow. Very quietly she comes into the temple. Notice, she's not seeking any attention from anybody. She's just there to worship God. And she kind of quietly comes into the temple area and Jesus sees her. It says, put in these two mites. Now, almost the way that sounds, you can tell that's not a whole lot of money. Two mites. A mite, what's being referred to there, are a quadrants, basically represented the smallest coin in circulation in Israel that day. It was a fraction of a cent. If you can think of it in a modern day equivalent, it might be like somebody today in our economy, if you picture what 
you know, a, an average day's wage or a weekly wage or a monthly wage. It'd be like somebody who really is, is quite a poor individual and they come in and, and they can put, you know, one or two dollars in an offering plate or something like that. And, 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 and they're, they're struggling to even just get by. And so they, this lady, she throws a few cents in to the offering plate as it comes by. She puts it there into these receptacles. And Mark at that point tells us in his gospel as well, that as Jesus watches this, before he says what we read in verses 3 and 4, Mark says that Jesus called his disciples close to himself. It's almost as if as Jesus watched this take place, he then called the disciples over to say, come over here, I want you to watch this. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear what I'm about to say, indicating that this was a lesson he wanted them to learn as disciples. Again, what are disciples? Disciples are committed followers of Jesus Christ. A disciple is someone who wants to learn the ways of their master. So this morning, if you consider yourself a disciple, then these would be lessons for you. If you don't, then maybe they're not. But Jesus calls his disciples over who are dedicated followers who want to learn the way of the master. He says, come over here. I want you to know what I've seen and I want to share with you things that matter to me. And he calls them over and he says to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow, she has put in more than all. For all these, Jesus says, out of their abundance have put in their, notice, offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, Jesus says, put in all the livelihood that she had. Once again, we learn that God's value system is very different than man's. And God's record keeping is very different than man's. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 16, man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And as Jesus sees her come in, he says, I tell you the truth, you see that poor widow? She just gave two mites. And she gave more, Jesus says, than all, the idea is all the other people combined. Her gift was bigger than everyone's, Jesus says. In other words, from heaven's estimation and the Lord's perspective, it had way more value to God. And he states the reason why in verse 4. He says, for all these, those who were rich in that day, he says, who came, out of their abundance, they've put in their offerings for God. The New American Standard says, out of their surplus, they've put in their offerings indicating it was not really a problem for those who were rich to give in the way that they did because Jesus said it actually was really a very small thing for them because they have such tremendous surplus. So though they were making big donations, and the Lord did see that, he said in relation, proportionally, when you weigh out what just happened here, he says because they were giving out of their surplus, it really didn't cost them as much personally. It wasn't as if they, like this poor widow, were in great need of daily living finances. And, and because of that, it was just out of their extra money. So in estimation, from Jesus' perspective, he says, yes, it was an offering to God, but it wasn't the same as what this widow did. Because when they were giving out of their surplus, it really didn't require, if you understand what I'm saying, much faith, as if, okay, I'm giving something as an offering over to the Lord, and... That's money, though. How am I then going to make sure I still can continue to provide for myself? That wasn't the case because Jesus said out of their abundance, out of their surplus. It really didn't cost them much personally. Now, on the other hand, Jesus says this widow, the way she gave it was in faith, it was in generosity. Jesus says here to show her devotion to God out of, out of her poverty, 
Out of her poverty, Jesus says she put in all the livelihood that she had. The word livelihood in the Greek is bios. It indicates she put in her whole life. The idea is it was vastly different. Her last few cents were all she really had to survive on. This was a really risky move for her. But she is an act of tremendous devotion to God, knowing that, hey, this is money that I certainly could utilize for survival. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from, the idea is. But yet she, in her love and devotion for God, comes before the Lord, and from Jesus' estimation, he says, now looking at that proportionally, Jesus says, oh, that blesses my heart. Because it was much more difficult for her to give what she did than it was for the wealthy, though the gift was much bigger to give what they did. And that's what really blessed the Lord's heart. That he saw this worshiper coming before him saying, Lord, I really don't have a whole lot, but, but what I do have, I want it to be yours. I, I, I want to show you I love you. I want you to use it for your purposes. And Jesus saw that hard attitude and that was really what honored him. And that's what Jesus commends and he holds up as this example before you and I in relation to financial stewardship and our giving, as Jesus calls, as offerings for God. Now let me make a, a, a few final points in relation to this story here. First of all, this teaches us that a gift's value to the Lord is determined by what spirit it is given in. A gift's value to the Lord is determined by what spirit it is given in. Just like these rich people, all of us, let's be honest, all of us can be guilty of costless commitments and convenient giving unto the Lord. Whether it be in our time, whether it be in our energies and efforts, or whether it be in our financial gifts. It is easy to justify whether, again, my time, my commitment, my finance, that I give unto God when in reality that's true, but usually it's my quick leftover or it's what's easy and what's convenient. Where the Bible encourages us like this widow that our giving unto the Lord in worship should include a measure of personal cost. There should be some measure of sacrifice. When David wanted to give unto the Lord, David said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which costs me Nothing. In other words, David says, if it's going to have some meaning and love to God, then I, w I want to incur some personal cost because I want it to be meaningful to God. I want him to see that I love him. So it teaches us that to the Lord, value is determined by the spirit in which we give unto him of whatever we give unto him in our lives. Secondly, we learn as well this, and this is important, that we need to become givers for our sake personally. We need to be givers in life for our sake personally. And here's what I mean by that. Obviously, again, for Jesus to esteem a fraction of a cent that this woman gave as a really wonderful gift unto the Lord that clearly indicates again and reinforces God's not broke, okay? God's not desperate for our money. He's not. Contrary to a lot of misrepresentation in the church and the body of Christ and things that take place and the things that are out there, God is not hurting for our money. Think about it. As Jesus sets this example for the disciples, the future apostles and leaders of the early church, if he was really concerned about where's all the money going to come from, he probably would have took a little different approach and somehow said, you see those big donations? Get those kind of people into the church. 
that's not what you, it, it kind of makes backward sense. If Jesus was really worried about where's money going to come from to support his work on the earth and the kingdom of God, he would not have elevated a few cents as the gift. Hey, this is the best gift, a few cents. He would have done the opposite. So again, the Lord's not concerned in that sense. He's not desperate for our money to keep his work going. The reason the Bible commands us to be givers is really for our benefit personally. Listen, God commands us to be givers not because he's trying to raise money, but because he's trying to raise children. And it benefits me in life to be a giver. Because guess why? I am selfish. So God says, you know what? I need to help you to have ways to get rid of your selfishness. For me to learn how to give is another way in which God teaches me faith and teaches me dependence. It teaches me to acknowledge you are the owner and possessor of all things and I am just a steward, Lord, and therefore I want to be a steward in a way that you would call me to. And as I do such things and you do such things, it helps us and it helps God raise healthy children as it benefits us way more really than it benefits the Lord because the whole world is absolutely his. Thirdly, I think we see from this as well, and especially the widows, Jesus sets her before us this, that this poor widow really challenges, it really challenges the mindset of this. I'll start giving to God when I have a little more money. I'll start giving to God when I get a raise or I get my finances in order. She had virtually nothing to live off of. But she gave what her heart prompted her to give as unto the Lord, and God was blessed by it. And Jesus honored it. And Jesus held it out as an example. Look, I know it is very easy... Oh, if I give some portion of my income to the Lord, if I give some... Listen, if I give... Well, how's this and that? Listen, I assure you this. In some ways, until you start managing your money, if that's the case where you're at this morning, until you start managing your resources that God's entrusted you with as a steward, the way that God's Word tells us to, your finances will never bounce out. You'll continue to have challenges and difficulties because God honors and blesses when we do things His way, not the world's way. All I can tell you is this. It works. It works. And people who know it works are the ones going, it works. (laughs) And those who are afraid of how it works are going, are you sure it works? God honors it. This widow really challenges that mindset. Now, since we're in a teaching that we are, let me leave you with one or two scriptures before we close. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 9, giving instructions to the church. He says that we should prepare our gift beforehand so that it is given as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. It tells us as well in 2 Corinthians 9, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, again, as if it's necessary, for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every 
good work. 1 Corinthians 16, concerning the collection of the saints, it says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. In relation to God's instructions to giving, financially giving to the Lord should really be three things. Giving unto the Lord should be thoughtful and purposeful, number one. You should pray about it, and you should think about it. And if you're married, you should talk. And it should be thoughtful and purposeful. Not just, I'm under compulsion, it's a grudging obligation, I'm embarrassed, here comes the bucket. You know, it shouldn't be like that. It should be thoughtful and purposeful. Prepare beforehand. Lord, this is what we have, this is what you've entrusted us. What would you have us do? What would you have us do? We give out of grace. We're not under the law. It should be thoughtful and purposeful and intentional what you do. Secondly, the Bible teaches from the verses I read and others that it should be proportionate. It should be proportionate according to how God's prospered you. It's not a percentage. I don't believe the New Testament teaches a percentage. I believe we give by grace and we give proportionally as the Lord leads us to by His Spirit. It should be proportional. And thirdly, the Bible teaches it should be done with regularity. That there should be a regularity to what we do. You know, these passages in front of us, Jesus contrasts lives. And as a summarization and conclusion to what we've looked at this morning, Jesus challenges us to be someone from these texts, to be someone who is not just a taker, but who seeks also to be a giver. Hey, can I challenge you this morning for your own life and every area of your life to seek to be somebody, especially as a Christian, who is a contributor and not just a consumer? Be a contributor. Be a contributor, not just a consumer in our culture. And this passage indicates that above all else, the Lord is concerned with the condition of our hearts. He just wants true devotion, that it would be done in sincere devotion to the Lord. So in light of all those things, bring your heart before the Lord. And as we sing this last song, listen, in sincerity, Lord, this is where I'm at. What does this mean for me? And how would you have me respond to it? Let's stand, let's pray together. We'll have our musicians come and we'll turn our hearts in a final song of worship. Father, thank you for your word and for how it speaks into our lives and challenges us and causes us to see the truth by your spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be responsive to you and to your word this day. And Lord, thank you that what you care about above all else is our hearts. And I pray that for myself and for each one of us, that we would have a right heart in your sight this morning, O oh God. And Lord, in any way it's not, that you would bring our heart into alignment with what's your will. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.